0: Today, I'm excited to series on freedom. And so if you have a Bible with you, I want you to open up to Galatians chapter 2. This is where we're going to be today. And Galatians chapter 2. And I want to jump into the text so that we can uh, honor time the best we can. Because we have a golf match to get to all the men in the church golfing today. I've been praying for good weather. So God willing, He hears me today. Amen. Galatians chapter two, if you would. Galatians chapter two. Are you there, church? Yes. Last week we read through Galatians one and uh, verses one through ten, and we talked about how Paul uh, began by sharing his heart that was broken. For the churches in Galatia. There's several churches in Galatia and he's writing this letter to them because his heart is broken over what he's hearing. And these people that he had helped once lead into a relationship with God, the truth of God he'd preached to, he had taught, uh, were beginning to believe lies. And there was some Judaizers, these people who were holding on to the religious law the Old Testament, which you might read today. They were holding on to this Religious law, that the way of salvation was through obedience to the law. And you had to have this mixture of law. You couldn't just be all about grace. It was about the law as well. And Paul had preached to this group of people similar to that I'm preaching to you today. And then he eventually left to go plant other churches. And he hears back that these people are falling away from grace. And they're trying to obtain salvation through their actions, and it breaks his heart. Paul's argument to this group of people that what he has spoken was true, don't believe the lies of these false teachers, uh, is that a man does not become a Christian merely by agreeing to a set of rules. So you don't become a Christian just because you said, I'm going to start to do certain things. Uh, And that's what it is to be a Christian. It's a I've got to follow some doctrines, and that's what it means to become a Christian. You become a Christian, he would say, by submitting or to the authority of Christ in your life, like surrendering to Christ. So you you could obey a lot of things, but not have a heart that surrendered. You, you surrendered to the authority of Christ in your life. This is what it means to be a Christian. The point is, you can't mix both law and grace. That's his whole argument through the book of Galatians. My hope for you, by the way, in this series, that you would read through the book of Galatians. I've had our staff read through Galatians. Would you read through Galatians? Say yes. yes. Amen. All right. Jesus heard you. So read through Galatians because this is where we'll be studying in over the next several weeks. I want you to read through Galatians over and over and over again. It's only six chapters. You might read it multiple times. Don't just read it once and say, I read it and I moved on. Like, just, just read it. Absorb into it. The whole book is about mixture of law and grace. And he's trying to help you understand it's grace that saves you. It's not the law that saves you. Salvation comes through grace, grace alone, and you can't earn it. And so Paul refused to try to win the approval of these religious leaders who were trying to convince the audience that it's all about the law, too, and you've got to have law. But he's like, I'm not here to win your approval, I'm here to win the approval of Christ. We talked about that last week. We did a sermon called To All My People Pleasers. Do you remember? Three of you remember, amen. So many were here too at the same time. It's interesting how that works. (laughs) Amen. Not doing bad. He was simply declaring the truth that even if it cost him his reputation and life, he was willing to die for this thing called the gospel. The truth of the gospel, that you are saved by grace through faith. One commentator wrote, and I love this line, The test of a man's ministry is not popularity or miraculous signs and wonders. Because if you remember, Jesus said, many people perform miraculous signs and wonders in my name, but I'll say to them on the day of judgment, I never knew you, depart from me. The test of a man's ministry is not popularity. Do you believe that? That people could have popular ministries, but not really be molding or shaping one heart. Or they, or they themselves are apart from God, so the test of a man's ministry has nothing to do with popularity. Because according to Paul, if you were to test a man's ministry by the level of how many likes he had, or how many followers on Facebook, I just want you to know, Paul would have very few. Most people didn't agree with him and didn't like him and said he was a heretic. That's why they threw him into prison. I'm just letting you know, Paul said, a test of a man's ministry is basically, has nothing to do with popularity. I'm not out to get people's approval or miraculous signs and wonders, but his faithfulness to the word of God I think this sums up Paul's life. So you know who the author is of Galatians. I want you to know the author. So when you read it, you understand that Paul was dedicated to the word of God, the truth of God, regardless of what it cost him or what you think about him. So whenever you read through Paul's letters and he writes things that you don't like, here's, hear what Paul would say. I don't care what you like. I'm here to preach the truth. Well, I don't like you, Paul. You're a little rough. I really don't care because I'm not here to seek your approval. I wish I was more like Paul sometimes care what you think. I'm here to teach you the truth of the Word of God. Amen? Amen. I feel liberated now. This series on freedom is really for me. All right, so Paul wanted the churches in Galatia to be free from approval, right? We talked about that last week. And as well, and we'll find out today that he wanted them to be free to trust. So to carry over Last week's title to all my people pleasers. I decided to title today's sermon to all my people with trust issues. Anybody have trust issues? Man, trust issues. Anybody have trust issues at all? Yes. Spouse have trust issues. You know, friendly. Don't we all have a little bit of trust issues? I love, one of my favorite things that happens when I bring up the title of a sermon, I love how spouses and people look to your left and right. Hey, are you listening? I I was just telling you this yesterday. Trust issues. Man, we battle trust issues, don't we? Trust in people, trust in neighbors, trust in friends, trust in government, trust in people, trust in things. So all my people with trust issues, I want to set you free today. Thank God wants to set you free. If you came in with trust issues, I hope that you leave a little more free from trust issues that you would learn to trust and have freedom and find the freedom that God offers with trusting him. I think a lot of people have trust issues with God. Did you know that you struggle when it comes to trusting God? You struggle with that. I'll give you an example. I mean, does does God really mean everything he says in scripture? You know, like, can I really trust what he says? I mean, do I really have to do that? Is that really, think about all the trust issues that you might have when it comes to your relationship with God. It's all about trust at the end of the day, isn't it? How much we trust him? Can you hear God just tell your heart today, right, where you're watching online or here in person? Can you hear God just ask you this today? I mean, do you trust me? And then I want you to fill in the, one of my favorite words, and it's the word really. Because the word really just adds a little more seriousness to it. I mean, do you trust me? Really? Do you trust everything that is in my word? Can you hear God ask you that today? Do you really trust me? Man, I think this is what Paul's heart is for when he's writing to this church in Galatia. It's like, I want you to trust what Christ has done for you today. I want to talk to you about people with trust issues. So Galatians 1, 11, we'll get to chapter 2 in a minute. By the way, I came up with a sermon title. I thought I'm going to preach on this. I was getting ready this morning. I turned to Carissa and I said, I got another sermon title, but it's not for today, but it's down the road. She said, what is it? I said, is this deep enough for you? To all the people who question, is this deep enough for you? I just thought I'd write a title one day but is this deep enough? So today we're going to get a little deep for all of you who want to feel like I never get deep. Sorry. Come on now. Get deep enough. We're going to dive in a lot of scripture today. Hope it's deep enough. Okay. Today, what we're going to preach on is so elementary, yet for so many people, they lack the elementary knowledge. And that statement that sometimes it's not deep enough is Alan, absolutely, you got to hear this. Anytime you're in a church setting and somebody says, it's not deep enough, I just want you to know all you've proven is that you haven't got out of kindergarten yet. Anyways, another that's not mean, that's the truth. Come on, people. If you're a mature believer in Christ, don't you know that you eat your own food? We don't drink baby's milk. We eat solid food. Amen? Amen. Have you learned to feed yourself yet? That's what Paul said. See, I love Paul's preaching. He would get off topic for just a second. Let me talk to all my people who think I'm not deep enough. Start feeding yourself. Do I really got to put your little bottle and rock by baby to you again? Amen. All right. See? I told you, babe, she's in the back. I got a whole sermon on it. I'm ready for it. As soon as God's ready, I'm ready. But he's not ready today. Okay, here we go. Galatians 1, 11 through 12. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that the gospel I preached is not of human origin. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Christ Jesus. Now, stay with me. A lot of text today. So when Paul is writing to this church in Galatia, his argument is what I have taught you about grace in Christ is true. So let me start off with where I got this thing called the gospel. I didn't get it from a preacher. I didn't get it from a sermon. I didn't get it from a podcast. I didn't get it from my dad. I didn't get it from my mom. I got it from Christ. It's not of human origin. If you ever want to test the truth of something, just go back to the origin of it, where it came from. One of the things that Pastor Joel taught years ago, uh, Senior Pastor Bridgeway Church that planted us, um, made a statement about if you want to know The truth of a religion, or the truth of someone's word, or the truth of someone's statements. Just go back to the origin of it. Go back to the originator. Go back to the one who began it, and it'll show itself to be false with where you began. But when you begin with God, you begin with truth. So, Paul's argument is basically this. What I have preached to you, what I have taught you, is not my own doing. It is Christ. Therefore, if you attack the gospel that I'm teaching you, you're attaching not my gospel, you're attaching the gospel that Christ has spoken. So if you don't like the gospel that I'm teaching you, take it up with Jesus. That's basically Paul's point. He wants them to know that this is not of human origin, it's of divine origin. all of the things that God, Paul is writing about is that came from God. It's not me. You're not saying that, when you say that, Paul, you're wrong, you're really not saying Paul's wrong, you're really saying Christ is wrong. I mean, that's the level of like, authority he preached with. That's pretty, I mean, if I came up here and said, I'm not really teaching you today, God is teaching you. That's, I mean, that's a powerful statement. Right? You would say, gosh, That's heavy. Yeah, I'm not up here talking to you. This is God talking to you. Like, this this is the authority he spoke with. Okay. So, he's calling this to help them understand that this didn't come from me. This came from God. And to defend his point further, he points back at his own life. Verse 13, for you have heard my previous way of life in Judaism. So, now he goes back to his testimony. How intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age. I was like the best student in Jewish class. Like I was, I was number one. You know me. I got all the scholarships. I was the leader of this Judaism movement among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You know, I mean, I was zealous for the law. But when God, I love that, but when God, but when God showed up, but when God got a hold of my life, when God did something, something changed. Who set me apart from my mother's womb, so called me by his, say it with me church, grace was pleased to reveal His Son in me. Christ revealed His Son in me. And I'm learning something new. Something changed in me when Christ revealed His Son in me so that I might preach Him, Jesus, among the Gentiles. My immediate response was not to consult any human being because I knew that some human being would try to jack up what God did in my life. So I know that if I go and tell somebody too fast here about what Christ is doing in my life, whoever human I talk to, whatever Jewish leader I talk to, they're just going to try to talk me off of what Christ is doing in my life. You ever had God do something amazing in your life, you try to tell somebody about it, and the first thing to do is try to get you kind of away from whatever it is that God is calling you to do. So he's like, I didn't go to human being. And if you unpack further, he spends years with Christ alone in his closet, if you would. He spends several years praying and seeking God, because he doesn't want any human to get in the way of what God is willing to do in his life. So he just passionately pursues what God wants to do in his life. Paul was a well-trained Jew who had voted for Christ's followers to be murdered. He'd raised his hands. I vote, yes, stone him, kill him. He did everything in his life, and he's basically saying, you see my life. Like, I, I once tried to Destroy this thing called grace. I I tried to destroy grace. And I I was the passionate believer that you had to fulfill the law. Like you have to do these certain things in order to obtain salvation. That's what my whole life was about. That's his whole argument that he's trying to lay before them. Start with the origin. It wasn't for me. I didn't do this. No sermon did it. It was me. Christ showed up in my life. He revealed some things to me. And now it's shaping the way that I live my life. Paul's point is I'm preaching the same message that changed my life. No human could have changed my life. That's what Paul is arguing. The only reason that I'm here today is because of what Christ has done in my life. Do you look at my life? The only reason why I am here doing what I'm doing today is because of what Christ has done in me. Is there anyone in the room or watching online raise your hand if you say I, I'm just just to show that man you would not be where where you are today in your life if it wasn't for Christ doing something in you and through you. Amen. So this is Paul's like man I'm telling you Christ has done something in me. And the reason why I'm here today, doing what I'm doing today, I wouldn't be sitting in a seat. I wouldn't be watching a line. I wouldn't be preaching a sermon. I wouldn't be singing a song. I wouldn't believe what I believe unless Christ did something in me first. This is his point. He wants them to know. I just wanted to defend, before I tell you this thing the gospel again, I want to remind you of where this all came from. His point, God did it all. The radical change in my heart was God. It's always been God. Then he continues on, chapter 2. That was the setup. Okay, then after 14 years, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. He's like my partner in crime. We do this thing together. I took Titus along also. I went in response to Revelation. I love that. That is to say that he is continuing to pursue what God has for his life. So he's getting revelation from God. God is speaking to his life, and he responds to God's knocking and opening the door. So in response to the revelation, and meeting privately with those esteemed as leaders, I presented to them the gospel that I preached among the Gentiles. Because I wanted to be sure that I was not running, uh, and had not been running and my race in vain. In other words, I wanted to make sure that this lined up with the text. I wanted to make sure that this all kind of made sense. And what this gospel that was being revealed to me, this, this gospel of salvation through grace, and not just through the law, is the right way. So I, I wanted to make sure this is right. So I spent time with Jesus. I went to some leadership about it. And yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false believers had infiltrated our ranks, and I just pay attention to this to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus. There is always an enemy in your life. We call him the great adversary, the deceiver, Satan, the devil, whatever word you want, but the serpent, the snake who is always spying on the freedom that you've just acquired. So the moment you taste freedom in one area of your life, I just want you to know there's always a demonic force that is spying on the freedom that you just discovered. You ever been set free of something only to be attacked by it a few hours later? Something spying on your freedom at all times. I want you to know that the enemy is aware every time you taste a little bit of freedom in an area in your life. He's fully aware of it. And he's spying on your freedom at all times. He's aware of when you taste freedom. And so these people are spying on the freedom that they had in Christ Jesus. And they're trying to remove the freedom and enslave them again to the yoke and the bondage of the law. Make us slaves again is what he ends verse 4 with. To make us slaves... We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved. And I want you to say for me, for me, say for me. So without Paul standing up to the people that he was arguing with and debating with, you wouldn't have the gospel that you hold in your hand today or hold in your heart. The reason that you hear the gospel that you have today is because of Christ working through Paul, and Paul's obedience to Christ. So, this gospel of grace, and Paul would say to you today, I did all of this for you, so that the gospel would be preserved. That you would know you don't obtain salvation through the law, but you obtain it through grace, through faith. Paul actually references Acts 15. This is in reference. Remember, he says, verse 1, then after 14 years, I went to begin Jerusalem. That story is unpacked in Acts 15. So, Acts 15, I'll put it on the screen for you. He recalls with them. This is is what happened in that 14-year period that he's talking about. Then after 14 years, what happened in that 14-year gap? Well, Acts 15. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Now he's referencing back to what happened. So this is actually what happened, Acts 15, that he was referencing. Remember when he stepped in front of the courts and he argued at this point? This is where it kind of gets more detailed. So if you want to put down on the side Acts 15, you can go read Acts 15 and kind of bring it into Acts chapter 2, and you'll see some of the correlation. This is more of the detailed story. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them, brothers, Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips to the message of the gospel and believe. Did you hear that? They might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and then believe. God, who knows the heart, he showed that he accepted them, who? Gentiles, not Jews, by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us Jews. So this is Peter preaching. This is Peter, that's going to be important in Galatians chapter 2 in just a minute. So this is Peter preaching, Acts 15, prior to this Galatian thing happening, and he's recalling back, he'll, Paul's going to recall this back in just a minute, but this is Peter preaching. So Peter says, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? We've been trying to make it to heaven by obedience to the law, and no one ever made it, because no one is Perfect. No one can fulfill the law. He says, no. We believe it. It's through the grace of the Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. It's through grace. The debate was if you want to be saved, you must become a Jew in order to be saved. That was the thought. You've got to be Jew to be saved. You've got to be circumcised. And circumcision, by the way, whenever you read that, you're like, ooh, that didn't feel good. No, it doesn't. But anyways... I was a baby or whatever. But the point is, is that the circumcision is is really, if you surrender to circumcision, what you're really doing is you're surrendering to the law. So if you agree to get circumcised, what you're saying is that the way I obtain salvation is not just through the circumcision, it's through the law. All 613 laws. And circumcision was one. But Peter says that's not what it takes to be saved. And all the men say amen. So, to be circumcised would also be agreeing that the way to God would be through obedience to the law. Paul's heart was for the truth of the gospel, not the peace of the church. Paul didn't come in to bring peace to the church, per se. He came in and spoke things that the church completely was against because they were wrong. He said, the way to Christ is through grace. It's not through the law. And it's only through grace. It is not through a mixture of law and grace. It's through grace by faith alone. Now go back to Galatians 2. Then Paul addresses Peter. This is why I wanted to read that to you. Because what happens to Peter here? Watch this Galatians 2, verse 11. When Cephas came to Antioch, this is Peter, I opposed to him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, the brother Jesus, and he used to eat with Gentiles. That's Peter. He used to eat with Gentiles. He talked about grace. But when they arrived, who's they? When the religious leaders arrived, when the Jewish leaders arrived... The people that didn't believe that it was just by grace, the people that believed it was the law, when they arrived, when they got in front of him, when they confronted Peter, he, Peter, began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of what those who belonged to the circumcision would say about him. He was afraid of what they might do to him. You know Peter, walking on water one day, sinking the next minute. You know, Peter, Lord, I'll never deny you. Then just a few hours later, deny him three times. I mean, you know Peter. Anybody live like Peter? Sometimes your faith is high. Sometimes your faith is low. Some days you're on a mountain. Some days you're crying. God, where are you? This is Peter. Man of courage in one moment. And a man of great fear the next moment. And Paul's addressing this. And he's saying, I saw Peter. I talked to him. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy. That's a powerful statement. I mean, you know you got a good friend. He's like, you're a hypocrite. <laughs> Many of us were like, I can't believe the audacity if you call me a hypocrite. And it, Paul's like, Peter, you're a hypocrite. I mean, he loves him. <laughs> you know, I don't know how you say that in love, but... You're a hypocrite, you know, I don't know. You smile, but it feels a little stingy. He says, "This is hypocrisy, Peter." So that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. You even started to lead Barnabas astray. He started to believe what you were preaching. You were preaching something wrong, and Barnabas believed in it. And Barnabas is right there, like, dude, why you got to throw me on the bus too, man? I mean, Paul's on a mission because he wants them to understand. I'm so burdened that you don't trust what happened on the cross. Like, stop trying to live according to the law. And I'll say whatever I need to say to help you understand that, to set you free. That's his whole burden. when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, gosh, (sighs) can you imagine where Christians and brothers and sisters in Christ would be if we were not ashamed or afraid to say, hey, when you're out of line with the truth of the gospel, I'm going to tell you. Like, this is so important. When I noticed this, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? In other words, you're a Jew, yeah, but you're saved through Christ and what he did for you and you know it, but yet you're trying to put on Gentiles the things that were placed on Jews in the law. Like you couldn't do it and that you're trying to burden people to do the thing that you can't do. Hypocrite. Why would you do that to them? Verse 15. We who are Jews by birth and not sinful Gentiles know that a person is not justified, that is saved or salvation, so justified, by the works of the law but by faith in Christ Jesus. So we too have put our faith in Christ Jesus that we may be justified by faith in Christ. We're justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. Because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. I mean, he made his point clear. You're justified, you're saved by grace and nothing more. That's his whole point. Peter's freedom was threatened by Peter's fear. He had freedom in Christ, but it was threatened by the religious leaders who had instilled fear in him. And so when, they saw the, when he saw the religious leaders around him and what they might say about him or do to him, He runs from the truth of the gospel. He was once freed from the law. Now he's enslaved back into the law because of fear of what these men might do or say. Peter once had the courage to speak the truth. Acts 15. We saw it earlier. But now in the face of opposition... lost his courage. I I want you to hear the message today to all my people with trust issues. Your trust in Christ is challenged most often in the moments of opposition. It's easy to trust God when things are going great. It's much more difficult to trust God when opposition forces are coming against you. And they can go moment by moment, day by day, minute by minute. It's easy to say, I trust God when all the blessings of heaven are raining down in my life. But when all other things break loose and things become difficult and opposition comes, where is your trust? It's the constant cycle of the Israelites and every human who lives on this planet is this struggle between trust God or lose trust in God. It's a constant battle that many people, myself included, Christians battle today. It's Israelites over and over again. Trust God. God provides. Yay! All of a sudden the trial comes. Where's God? He left us. Go back into slavery. It'd be better there than it was here. Right? It's this battle of trust to all my people with trust issues. Peter had experienced God's grace and salvation, and he taught about God's grace just as Paul had. But when he withdrew from the Gentile fellowship, he openly denied the grace of God. Peter's fear led to the loss of the freedom that the cross provided. I need to read that line because I want it to absorb, okay? So here I go. I'm going to repeat that line so that you get this in. If you want to write it down, write it down so you Allow this to kind of be something you meditate on. Peter's fear led to his loss of the freedom that the cross provided. This is the text I want you to kind of, I want to like preach it from. I want you to get this. Fear had led to the loss of freedom. The freedom that the cross provided. There was freedom that the cross provided But fear got in the way, and it removed the freedom that the cross was providing. It's fear. It's like fear versus freedom. Then Paul is about to make a key, central statement. And the statement I'm about to read to you in verse 20, when we get there, is probably the most critical verse of Scripture that any Christian, true follower of Christ, Like, you anchor in this. This is like the statement that every Christian kind of like lives on. This is like the anchor verse, some could argue, that this is fundamental to every Christ follower. If you want to know what Christians believe, this is what Christians believe. If you're a Christian, this is what you have said you believe. And you can determine whether or not you've actually meant it by what I'm about to share with you. Remember, his whole point is to this audience of you need to be set free from the law. Allow grace in your life. Don't live like Peter in this fear of people, fear of other things. Like, I want you to be freed from this and not in fear. Verse 17. But if in seeking to be justified in Christ we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, doesn't that mean that Christ promotes, it mean Christ promotes sin? No, of course not, he says. No, Christ doesn't promote sin. No. Verse 18, if I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. If I just rebuild the law back up, then I'm going to be a lawbreaker to myself. And that's all that I am is a lawbreaker. In other words, if you just tell me that it's all about the law, I'm just going to continue to break the law. You ever broken the law, even though you knew the law? Did, how did you get to church today? Did you drive? You ever change lanes without a signal? I'm going to keep going until everybody's hands are raised. Yeah, there you go. You ever sped a little bit? Man, happened yesterday driving home. There's a cop right behind me. And I'm like going, you know, maybe I don't know, 10 over or something probably. And Because uh, I always push. the Anybody go 10 over? 35, it means you're like 44, 45. You know, you're safe. So, was, you know, but then you see the cop. You ever done this? You see the cop behind you, and the, what's the first thing you do? Oh, it breaks, you know. Oh, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, help me. Look at my Brave Church sticker in the back of my car, and hopefully you're a Christian. Like, i convinced myself of all kinds of things about how the cop will. And then, is not it feel good? Don't, don't you feel free when he's like, and he goes around. Like, oh, I can breathe. Yes? yes? And then what is the, come on. What is the next thing you do as soon as he's like, shoom? Right back on the gas. All right, thank you, Jesus. Amen? (laughs) Amen. Literally happened to me this weekend. I think I went faster, like 15 over. I thought, well, if he's in the area and he's gone, I got a wide open road. (laughs) All right, amen. For though the law I died to, he says, this is verse 19, for for through the law I died to the law, now, I love this. Watch this. Verse 19. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. Now, here's verse 20, such a critical statement, and this is what I want to preach from the most. Like This is what I want you to anchor into. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live. I no longer live. I no longer live. But Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and he gave himself to me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. But Christ died for me, and so I no longer live for me. I live because Christ is in me. My life is because of Christ in me. I need you to get this today inside of your heart. That if you're a Christ follower, you have been crucified with Christ. And you no longer live to please you. Now you live... Simply, only through faith in Christ. That Christ lives in you. Would you say this with me? I want you to say these words. You're going to say, Christ lives in me. Are you ready? Say, Christ lives in me. Say it again. Christ lives in me. I want you to understand the magnitude of that statement, if you believe it, that Christ lives in you. We're talking about, think about this, the creator of the world. The one who formed earth. The one who made stars and sun and seas and mountains and people. The one who made it, I mean, he... He said, Let there be light, and light appeared. Let there be life in, in human beings. Whew. Breath. Christ lives in you. Sometimes we talk to God like He is up there. And we are down here. We teach children, where is God? In heaven. No, he's in you. So this is, follow me. Like, think about this. The, gosh, like Christ in me. Like, he lives in me. The, he's in me. I mean, think about that. Do you, do you see the, my stomach is getting tight. Do you, do you like it's in me. You get the picture? Okay, let me illustrate it to you. I'm gonna saw this illustration. I thought, I gotta use this, I gotta help you get the picture because I I felt like you wouldn't get this picture. So I thought I'm gonna try to get this picture the best I can. I took some bins from my my garage last minute. So this little box here is gonna represent you. All right, so I'm a really good artist. That's you, okay? That's you, you with some eyes. And I don't know if you're smiling or not, so we'll just do a straight line for now, okay? It's like, it's it's kind of a smile. This is you. That's what Paul says. This is you. Okay, and the text says that for those who are believers in Christ. Now we're gonna draw, and I thought I was, I'll get a small one, which made perfect sense. And I'm gonna draw like baby Jesus. Oh, sweet! Come on, church, baby Jesus, sweet baby Jesus. You know the reference. Come on, Talladega Sweet baby Jesus. We'll put some cross, some little crosses. Is that good? This is Jesus. Sorry, Jesus. (laughs) This is the best I got. Okay, this is Jesus. And Paul says that Christ lives in you. And he seals it with the Spirit. So Christ is inside of you. But 1 John 4 goes a step further and it says, and God has given us spirit as proof that we live in him and he in us. So all through scripture, the Bible says that Christ lives in you. But that doesn't stop there. It says that Christ is in you, but also that you are in Christ. And John 1 says that Christ where the word of God became flesh. And so like Christ is God and they're three in one and the Trinity, that whole thing. So really Christ is in you and you are in Christ. And so you put this inside of this and now this is where you live. So Christ is in you and you are in God. And for those who believe in Christ, this is where Paul said you live, in the security of Christ and Christ in you. And so whenever the adversary or the enemy wants to attack you, he does not have direct access to you. He has to go through God first. And then if somehow he can even closely penetrate where God would allow him the access to you, and he gets to you, you still have Christ inside of you. So Christ lives in you, and you in Christ. Now just think about living this way. Think about if you actually trusted God in every area of your life. Think about how much more secure you might actually feel when something happens to you. Here's where many Christians fall today. They don't live in, actually, how about, what are some words for God? Let's just do this real quick. How about the word security? Peace. Peace. Restored. How about redeemed? Labels that identify your life. Fully trusting in God. I want you to think about this. This is where many people I find live today, though. As a Christian. We exchange the box of God. We say that we're Christians and Christ is inside of us. But we live in this box. Right where Peter lived. Often. And it's the box... Satan, no. Fear. Everything you battle with as a Christian often will find its root in fear. Because fear is what is always up against to take you from living in the security of God, trusting in God. And so we find ourselves as Christ followers claiming to have Christ in us which is exactly Paul's point to these religious leaders. Peter you're claiming to have Christ in you but you're convinced that somehow it's not God that provides you security to heaven. It's the law. It's it's for fear that if you think these men, what they might say to you, and think about you. I mean, fear itself removed Peter from this box into this box, and Paul says, "Why are you allowing people and situations and circumstance take you from the security?" And eternal salvation in God and move you from that box, that grace, that sufficiency, that provision, and put you over here. That is Peter's whole, Paul's whole point about Peter. He said, Well, I'm not struggling with theological debates with uh, religious leaders all the time, but here's where we often struggle, and this is where I like to land. Andrews, to make it more emotional, would you come up here and put on the keys? <laughs> So, this is what the adversary does to you. I have Christ in me. I'm a Christian. I'm a Christ follower. Okay? So, we put our trust in God. And God is in us. And we are in God. And this is where we're supposed to live. And then you lose your job. an attack. What now? Oh, what are we going to do? Where are we? Gonna, where are we going to live? Where are we going to go? What are we going to do? Where are we going to go? What are we going to do? Where are we going to live? And this is where Christians live. Christ redeemed you. You were baptized. You were given the spirit of God and yet trouble comes. Opposition comes. And the enemy wants to do everything in his power to move you from the security of God, trusting in God, putting you over in the box of fear and saying, live there. A doctor's report comes back. You were living in God. Doctor report comes back. What's going to happen to me? What's going to happen to my children? Fear. Fear isn't it for you. You Say, well, fear's not it. How about anxiety? How about worry? And then we live here. How about this? And worship. God has redeemed my life. He has set me free. I was baptized, and it was—I was lifted in my hands when I came out of the water, and this, I'm telling you, it was so amazing. God has breathed new life in me. And then you could show up after lifting your hands in salvation, what Christ has redeemed you, and some of you lifted your hands to receive Christ in your life, but then you go to worship, and the songs begin to get sung. And someone is next to you and people will see you sing and dance and lift your hands. So you just live in the box of fear and you don't even sing in church. Because of fear or whatever you can convince yourself of, whatever. You don't need to. And all kinds of things. I was at a Bucks game again last night. I saw those foolish looking people in my life and they're all adults screaming for this team having no fear what people thought about them. It's just incredible. And yet you proclaim freedom worried about money. When you live in Christ is in you and you are in Christ, you trust him for your finances and provision. You give freely to him. Jesus would say, I love the cheerful giver. Like Paul says, like, God loves a cheerful giver, man. They're just set free. They love to give. They can give, 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 give because they know who they are in Christ and that Christ is in them and they are in him. And so they're fully confident that God will provide. And yet, many people Self-professing Christians, justified by faith, live. Hold my money. I'm responsible for my retirement. I've got to pave my own path. I can't possibly trust God in that area of life. That can't be right. I can't possibly give the 10%. That would be crazy and foolish. Just think about the tension between living in the security and trust of God. versus living and fear. Christians, followers of Jesus, this is what Paul said you're supposed to live your life like. Christ in you and you are in Christ. And when Christ is in you and you are in Christ, you have nothing to fear. You have Have nothing to fear, not even death itself. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. I have come to give you a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. When you live in Christ, and Christ lives in you, you can have a sound mind. I So love the golf clap. Be free today, would you? It's an invitation to freedom. This is freedom. This is freedom. When you can actually understand that the God of the universe lives in you and you in his wings, you in his grasp, he does not let go. The invitation is that you would live in here and you would pray like it. You would sing like it. You'd rejoice like it you'd have peace like it. And the rest of your life, Christian brothers and sisters, the enemy will do everything in his power to take you out of this box. And often, God will allow the enemy, like Job, to come in and say, sure, you can have access to my son or to my daughter. But just know, enemy they have Christ also in them. And though I allow you through the first tub, you'll get to them. But when you discover that I am in them, you will lose. It's the great defeat of salvation. It's that sin could destroy you. The enemy went to Adam and Eve, and he said, sin, death to all. But Christ died so that He would live in you and you in him. So whenever the great adversary would come to death to you, you could say, no, Christ is in me. And because Christ is in me, I actually don't die. This is amazing. I never die. I actually live for eternity with the God in heaven who lives in me and I in him. So like you can touch the body, but you can never take the soul. Like the soul goes on and on and on. And so actually enemy, you actually have no play on me because I am under grace. So you can attack my job, you can test me with all the trials you want to test me, but because of Christ in me, I will be victorious. Not because of me, but because of Christ in me. And the argument with Paul and the church in Galatia was he didn't want them to fall back into the bondage of slavery again. You ever heard the statement, Christ died for me, so living for him is the much I could do for him. Like, it's the least I could do for Jesus. That is so theologically inaccurate. If you've ever said, the least I could do for Jesus, nothing you ever could do could earn your way to salvation. Nothing. Don't even try or attempt, Paul would say. There's no point. You won't succeed at it. The only thing that you should do is lay down your life. Die to yourself and allow Christ to live in you and through you so that you can actually taste freedom. That's freedom. Christ said, you owe me nothing. You don't owe me a thing. It's been paid for. You don't owe me your church attendance. You don't owe me Bible reading. You don't owe me Anything your salvation is not contingent on how many hours a week you pray, how many signs and wonders you, you creators, you happen in your life. No, no, it's only by grace that's it, just grace. When you get that, you get freedom, lasting freedom. Paul would say, Keep on sinning. No. Allow the grace of God to flow your, like flood your heart, like flood your life so much that you can live and taste freedom in Christ. He would write later on, we'll read later on as we study Galatians more, that he died so that we could be free. Freed from having to earn salvation. Free. Free. Freedom from sins and freedom. Christ died that you might be free. Free from worry. Never having to worry about your finances again. Never worry about what might happen to you. Christ followers, those who know Christ, don't live in fear. Not on me. Because Christ is in me, and I am in Christ Nothing can harm me. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you, Lord. Thank you for dying for us. We often say that as like a repetitious prayer, Jesus. Just praying the prayer. And you come willing into our life. But today... I believe, God, there's people in here you've lived in, you've adopted as your son and as your daughter, and I know it, convinced of it, but they haven't found freedom in what it means to live in the security of your word, actually trusting you. Light bulbs maybe are going off in your heart, like in your mind, like, the battle for trust. You've had trust issues when it comes to God. And there is a thing or something or whatever. It could be you've been trying to obtain salvation and you really don't trust that Christ has died for you. And that is the only way to salvation and eternal life in heaven. He would say, be freed. You don't owe me a thing. You don't have to fulfill a law. The only requirement here is place your confidence in me. It's a money thing. Can you, for one minute, just one second, breathe in the freedom of this? God, I don't have to worry about my finances. You will provide for me. Provide for me. You will make the way for my retirement. You will make the way for the finances. All I need to do is trust you. Trust your words. Those who seek you first. Those who put you first. Matthew six thirty three. Jesus, you said it. And Matthew wrote it. He who seek you first in the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness, everything, everything, everything will be provided for them. But I must trust you first. Jesus, so many areas of life we could fall underneath the trap of not living in your security. Today, today, If you want to move to freedom, just repeat this prayer and say, Jesus, I want you to live in me. Maybe you've said that prayer for the first time, like, I want you to live in me, and that's an invitation to salvation, and you can know that when you make the invitation for Christ to live in you, you're justified by faith, just through faith, the the belief and the confidence that Christ would come inside of your life, and that would be the way to salvation. But today's decisions is not just for the one who's just accepting Christ into their life. It's also for many of you who have accepted Christ into your life, yet you've forgotten what John wrote, that it's also that you live in Him, in Him, under Him, His covering. Today, you also have to make this decision, maybe a new decision, to say that, Christ, you live in me, but I'm reminded today that I live in you. So I will remain in you. Anxious for no thing. Worried about no thing. Fearful of no thing. Because I live in you just like you live in me. So you want to move to freedom. To trust Him. Trust Him in every area of your life. Trust Him. Trust Him. Trust Him. Just say, Jesus, I gave you my life. I trust you. I have trust issues, and I want to trust you. Help me to trust you. Today, I'm making the decision. Feel the freedom, church. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. I feel the room letting go in this moment. Letting it go. I trust you. I'll trust your word. I surrender. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. And when opposition comes, you're going to have to trust Him again and again and again and again and again because it's faith that pleases our Lord. It is impossible to please God without it. It will always require trust. When you trust Him in one area, you'll be tested in another. It keeps on going until one day we're with Him in heaven together as one family. In Jesus' name. We love you. Amen.